0: Thank <laughs> you. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Eureka Street Crypto Podcast. Normally, I would say good morning, but um, I haven't been doing this in the morning. I haven't really been doing this show at all. My last episode was with the Cult DAO covering that project and the revolt. Um, token and that got an amazing response. actually made a thousand subscribers for the first time ever. So, hey, you know, whatever feels great to finally get a thousand. Of course, uh, two people unsubscribed immediately and it went back to 998, but hey, I, I hate a thousand and that's all right. Um, anyway, so yeah, thanks for the response on that. I'd like to do another episode covering Colt Dow and the Revolt token to talk more about the tokenomics of it because I talked a lot about the ideology of it. And uh, yeah, man, it was a fun episode. Um, but, um, this episode, uh, well, first of all, you know, I've been doing this since October 24th, 2020. This is my brain dump, uh, to be able to just talk about things that I learn in crypto and I learn something new in crypto every single day, whether or not I broadcast. This is my message in a bottle to other web three folks out there and other people curious about crypto and just even check up and see how I'm doing. And then, um, so, and this is my, my sandbox to be able to just play with ideas, play with audiovisual stuff and just to test things out and experiment. So take nothing I say on here seriously, take it all for a grain of thought and think of it as a process, you know, and I'm a human being and I'm learning. So I might say something completely off base and that just happens. And it, it's just part of learning and everybody in this crypto space is learning, you know, so everybody's kind of off base right now. Nobody knows what to do with this new technology, how to regulate it, you know, how to approach it. We just had the merge last night and who knows what's going to happen after that. And I love the unpredictability about the crypto space. So that's why I do it anyway. So today I have a very special episode. Um, a friend of mine, he goes on discord uh, by the name of uh, comeback kid, but his name is Mike Rabinovich. He's an Former lawyer uh, from Canada, and um, he has a podcast called the Ab Initio podcast that I've helped produce. Um, so, yeah, man, we've been partners on that. And that's that's one of the Bankless Dow Legal Guild podcast as well. Um, he's been an absolute pleasure to work with. Super amazing guy is very knowledgeable about the crypto space and about regulatory structures. Um about all the stuff that I didn't really know about coming into the crypto space and I've kind of had to give myself a crash course on so yeah, um he's been kind enough to allocate some of his time to come on my show and explain some of these topics so yeah, I pre-recorded it and um and so I'm gonna play it and uh, he just he he touches on some really interesting concepts and defines a lot of basic terms. So if you know all these terms, have some patience, but I'm trying to paint like a whole picture of what's going on between new people coming into the space and regulations, uh, web three ID about accredited investing about uh, commodities and securities and what all that means about what KYC and anti-money laundering, uh, means and, and how it all fits together in the grand scheme of things, and that's really what I'm just trying to get at, like a macro view in this interview, and and where crypto can go with all this and what we're trying to do. Um, so anyway, enjoy it, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. Drop Mike Rabinovich a note. Um, he's comeback kid on Discord and on Twitter as well, and you can see him as Mike Rabinovich. It's a R A B I N O V I C I on LinkedIn. So, all right, uh, enjoy. Hey, Mike, thanks again for um, agreeing to come on the show and for giving us a little bit of schooling and lessons on on a, what all this stuff means because I came into crypto with zero knowledge about finance. Um, I mean, I went through college and then through grad school, never once took a finance course, um, and... <laughs> I just was suddenly just giving myself a crash course and the first white paper I ever read was called, uh, was for synthetics, which is, you know, if if you're familiar with synthetics is decentralized yes. derivatives. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, thanks again for coming on and, uh, let's, let's give a little intro to you. Um, you are a lawyer by trade, correct?
1: I am. I am a recovering lawyer. A recovering I, I, lawyer. I, 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 that's how I refer to it. I, I don't practice, but, uh. Yeah. Uh, yes. I I don't give advice, but certainly do a fair bit of consulting on, uh, in the Web three DAO space.
0: Sure. Yeah. So what what brought you in as far as being interested into the Web three crypto DAO space? Was it crypto first? Was it the speculative aspect, or or what w- w- what went on there?
1: Uh, I, I I love the trading aspect, but that wasn't really the uh, the main event for me. Um, like a lot of us looking at the world of our last. You know i would say five ten years we've become increasingly dismayed at what's going on out there and i think that uh and my kids will argue with me on this point my feeling is that beyond uh environmental issues and geopolitical issues i think the basis of what we're really uh struggling with is a ever-increasing uh inequality gap okay. um and and something that you know you know two people could look at uh from the same angle mm-hmm. Be it with the, uh, some differences, is becoming further further apart. Okay. And I think that what we all have come to realize is that the, the last two three years of a pandemic, if anything, have exacerbated this inequality gap. Huh. And I think that that is really the, you know, that's you know, if we can if we can hack that, the solution for that, I think that figuring out the environmental challenges, figuring out geopolitical challenges, figuring out political toxicity, is is going to be within our reach.
0: So is it safe to say that you? see or saw at the beginning crypto is kind of a potential vehicle to help close that inequality gap.
1: I, to be honest, I'm not a financial guy, so I didn't you know I wasn't as well versed in that argument. yeah uh, in terms of having a currency that's not dependent on a federal reserves and uh, is kind of more of the real world as opposed to the uh, paper printing money paper printing world. Um, but what really drew me was I mean my my first exposure to crypto was in 2017. Okay. So uh, during the, the I boom did get, of it all, <laughs> I and I did get to see a winter. So in the silver lining of that experience was that I'm not as phased by it as it is now. But I'm kind of really more focusing on the fundamentals than what we're doing. But uh, I think that you know, in on staying on the theme of the inequality gap, I started to think about how do we solve that. I mean, what what is the best way to go about it? And when I came across the concept of Web3 and the concept of DAO specifically, I began to realize, and the blockchain, Mm -hmm. uh, I began to realize that wow, there is we might have finally have the technology that could really make this world a better place in a far more egalitarian fashion than we did before. And when you combine the ethos of Web3, which is really in my view has always been community, with the idea of a DAO, which is a fundamentally different way of governance. I thought that we might have the pieces to really start making a difference. And that's what really attracted me.
0: Oh, huh, okay. So, yeah, you, you started out with a lot of big picture ideas rather than just kind of speculating. Um, I stum- I stumbled in it purely by speculation, honestly. And my first real experience with kind of the inequality gap, I guess, um, was when I was trying to get ahead and... I, I wasn't, I owned XRP and ripple, you know, I admit, <laughs> but, uh, yes. Um, I was trying to buy ripple stock, you know, and, um, it hadn't come out on the large market yet. And so there was some private, um, uh, I guess marketplaces that you could buy it at without it being completely out on the public market yet. And, uh, Uh, So I went in and I registered and all that and I gave all my information and then suddenly after I complete the application, it goes to another window and it says I have to be an accredited investor and I have to have $250,000 of assets or something like that to my name. And, uh, you know, I was just, I I, I didn't have that, you know, and just sitting around in my bank account, I don't have $250,000 just sitting there. Um, so I didn't qualify to be an accredited investor and it pissed me off. I was just like, man, what the heck, man? I'm trying to learn about all this stuff. I'm trying to, to actively do something with my life and to invest in some really good opportunities that could help advance me. Why is this glass ceiling there? You know? So can you tell us a little bit about accredited investing first of all? So.
1: Governments as they are want to be really want to get involved in, in different aspects of, of, of governance and policy making and I believe that absolutely their role is not to get involved in minutia but in the policy making aspect of it and then let let citizens figure it out from there and come up with the best solutions uh, but everybody's there acknowledge that in the markets you're going to have some bad actors Okay. and uh, the accredited investor exemption was intended uh, and it's been around for decades to protect investors. That may not have the knowledge or wherewithal or sufficient amount of money to sustain a loss from nefarious actors. And that made a lot of sense. Uh, however, as, as, as the world evolved, as economics revolved, as Web3 and crypto and DAOs came along, we realized that some of these exemptions uh, were not available to regular folk because they simply could not meet the accredited investor criteria. Uh, and you know, basically put, without getting into a lot of details, to be an accredited investor, as an individual has to have a gross income of exceeding $200,000, or exceeding $300,000 with a spouse that has been sustainable for at least two years or longer. Uh, and as well, they need to have a million dollars net worth, along with their partners, uh, <laughs> a net worth that exceeds one million dollars. But, and this is a big but, especially in these days with the prices of real estate, it has to exclude the Person's primary residence. That's exactly. And so I was like,
0: okay, I can do it. You know, I got my house, you know, but then, <laughs> no.
1: Not so fast. Yeah. Not so fast, John. <laughs> but, so what I started to think about is that, you know, the other criteria that are added on is your level of education and how knowledgeable you are. And, you know, when you look at what those educational requirements are, there are very specific accredited education requirements or financial certifications that financial professionals get. Okay. So... What I start to think about is, let's say you have your, you know, fifty-some-year-old that's had a decent career, has got some good savings, and uh, they got a financial advisor. And that financial advisor sees a crypto deal, you know, perhaps in a better time than a bear market. So they call their client and say, "John, I have this good deal. You know, the, you know, can we put in fifty grand?" You know, if that uh, advisor has done well for you, you may just say, "Yeah, go ahead. Sure, mm-hmm. we've done well together." Or you might say, well, I'd like to find out a little bit more about it and good luck understanding what they were talking about. And <laughs> I even doubt the financial advisor knew what they were talking about, mm-hmm. right? Somebody pitched it to them and they've made money with that person before they have that trust in them. Okay. So they decide to bring their book or their clients into the deal. Um, now, let's compare that to somebody that's, let's say, in their you know, early to mid-30s. They got a house, uh, mortgage, a couple of kids, uh, but their passion is Web3 and they spend a lot of their free time listening to podcasts like bankless hq and like uh crypto vision works with uh Pal powell and, and ash bennington uh, and they become super knowledgeable but they could never touch that kind of deal that the 50 Some could touch mm-hmm. because a they're unlikely to hear about it and even if they heard about it they would be prevented from getting into it in the same way mm-hmm. as, as as somebody that is an accredited investor now what dawned on me was that all of a sudden, this shield, this 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 way to protect uh, investors that are not as knowledgeable or as wealthy from being taken advantage of, now has become a hindrance. Mm-hmm. Now, am I saying that they should be able to toss whatever money they wanted without knowledge? Absolutely not. Yeah. But what it is time for, John, is a fundamental restructuring of of the accredited investor exemption. So other folks that do not qualify by these standards, which I think are way too high yeah. uh, and and, and are, can, can qualify by. So there's many ways to do it. Um, for example, what if like, so under the credit investor exemption, I'm not a securities lawyer, but I've been around some, there's no limit as to what you can put in. Mm-hmm. There's other exemptions where you have there's some limitations. So you know, why not create a new exemption for people that don't have the million dollars and limit them to, let's say, $10,000 or $20,000? Okay, because if you've saved a certain amount of money and and you're willing to invest that and you got into crypto early on and you spread your, let's say, you take you took your $20,000 and spread them over four investments, so it was even $5,000 each, there is a chance that if you're at the right time and you understood the product that you're investing in. And it wasn't just a fomo play. You might have made a life altering investment.
0: I mean, I've but, heard about people making starting out with two hundred dollars, and they just build up and reinvest, build up, reinvest, and using you know different leverage engines and all that type of stuff on on smaller chains of than Ethereum, and they ended up. With huge, to, to be qualified in the end as an accredited investor after that. But anyway, continue.
1: <laughs> but see, that's an interesting point because anybody can do what you said. They don't have to be an accredited investor. Yeah. You know, whether it was an ICO and it should have been allowed to begin with, that's a different discussion. But my point is that when accredited investors get opportunities that are far more likely to succeed often than taking a chance on some speculative coin. Yeah. Because it comes from somebody that has vetted it. It comes from investors that are sophisticated. So chances are it's still risky, but far less risky than invo- than, than than putting your mon- money on some fly-by-night coin and if you get lucky you can become as you say an accredited investor overnight. Yeah. So the point is that the inequality here, John, exists in the it's an inequality in access to opportunity. Yes, right? Mm-hmm. and that to me is the crux of it why are we not creating a system where people with less money can still take advantage of these kind of opportunities because while we're if when we don't do it if we let the system continue to go on as is we're just going to increase the inequality gap mm-hmm. and it's going to be more difficult more challenging um more toxic to be able to roll that back mm-hmm. and I think there's way to do it where the SEC can be satisfied that the retail investors are protected But also smaller folks that did not have an opportunity before are going to be able to reach out and grab a piece of the pie which again i'm canadian but everybody getting a chance at a piece of the pie is the american dream as i understand it Mm -hmm. uh and it's not about nobody guarantees you anything but at least you have the opportunity the other thing that i would love to see is opposed to looking at education in very traditional land through traditional lands of well you gotta get this financial certification or you have to attend this to get a certificate why don't we broaden it to something that is more relevant? For example, in my view, Bankless HQ and uh, Crypto Vision. Uh, do I call it right? Is it is the is the podcast where all called Crypto Vision?
0: No, is, it's. Um, yeah, I have to look back at it. it's not vision, Crypto Vision.
1: But, it's maybe uh, Vision Works Crypt- <laughs> it's, it's something with Vision. Yeah, but, it's Ralph uh, Paul's, I wanna, it's like an
0: education yeah, serv- it's not yeah, a service. Yeah, I want sure. to make sure. I want to make sure. Yeah.
1: It is. I want to make sure that I get that right. So let me. Real Vision Crypto. Real Vision. That's so it. Yeah. Real yeah. Vision Crypto. Right. Yeah. So I mean, in my view, those kind of podcasts and educational platform should seek to be certified, as accredited uh, institution.
0: Accredited educators. Because
1: yeah. Yeah. Educators. Because to me, I'd much rather listen to you know to uh, to uh, Ryan and David on Bankless HQ and their guests or to uh Raul paul and ash bennington who are amazing and the rest of their team uh i think they're doing them that's how i got educated okay right and I've, i learned far more than if i would go to one of these the traditional um mm-hmm. uh certificate programs that teach me and that's important too don't get me wrong but if i want to invest in crypto and in protocols and in projects and in DAOs, i want to hear from the very best sure in that specific discipline and so i think we got to we we, we got to redo the limits with some uh guardrails and i think we got to redo the way to get qualified as an accredited investor and maybe there's going to be more more than one kind of accredited investor maybe there's going to be a crypto accredited investor Uh, and maybe there's going to be other types of accredited investors i think that this monolithic approach with these set numbers uh are really um preventing a lot of good folks that are knowledgeable, are willing, uh, and are are smart with their money to take advantage of of life changing opportunities.
0: Well, that's what DAOs are kind of creating. They're creating these horizontal, flat organizations rather than top down. I mean, you can imagine how much in order to be a crest, a, a, to be a financial advisor, how much those classes are to take that a lot of times companies pay for, but the average person would probably have to. couldn't afford those classes in order to become certified without the capital behind them and um, a lot of DAOs I think are fixing this because there's this open current DAO and they call that knowledge that's out there the fresh knowledge gap like you have right now Mm -hmm. uh, Bankless HQ and Real Vision attempting to create these educational platforms and create some kind of legitimacy of education in the space yes maybe they could do a type of credentials program but um, there's always somebody trying to be the rent seeker and to be the the person who the piper is paying, you know, or pay the piper. Well, you know? And so, who who is the person that gets to do that? You know.
1: Well, that's bottom line. This is this is something that needs to be addressed by the politicians. Yeah. Good luck to us all. <laughs> um, and and you know they might have other more pressing issues to deal with, but. To me, if, if you agree with my thesis that the inequality gap is really the fundamental issue that we have to address so we can address together everything else, mm-hmm. then this is really important. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's not just important, but I mean, time is of the essence, as they say in contract law, yeah. right? It's, it's got to happen now. It's going to be happening quickly because, you know, what we witnessed yesterday, and again, I'm not a tech guy. I mean, I know enough technology to be dangerous, but that's about it you know I can take a website down by mistake but not really build one or create or audit a smart contract mm-hmm. but what ethereum pulled off last night I mean I, I think it's historic yeah, uh definitely. I mean if you are an eth holder and you went to bed last night and you know I like with another bunch of crazy stayed up you know late into the night to see what's going on uh you could have woken up the the, the next morning and gone from proof of work to proof of stake mm-hmm. and had not a clue Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's not genius, I, I don't know what is. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that Vitalik is a is an, uh, wonderful example of what Canadian entrepreneurs can do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just really impressed yeah, with their whole team, right? the way they did it. Yes, he is. Okay. And uh, my point is, is that now that this technological feat had, has, has been performed with a fair number of skeptics, uh again i'm not making predictions about the coins this is not investment advice this is my personal opinion uh is that a bottom has been established in my view and whether this is going to be the right number right now or not i don't know but the fact that an enterprise that is not that old has accomplished something so profound technologically and 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 from a from a not just techno what i love about ethereum what i really admire about vitalik and by the way I, I, he doesn't know me from adam uh is that his heart throughout has always seemed to be in the right place and if we're going to talk about combining technology with community and changing the world he's the poster poster Mm. child in my view and and this is the kind of thing that we got to emulate in projects and 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 protocols and everything else that we work on in this in this uh ecosystem
0: so you think that the DeFi ecosystem is a way to get around this accredited investing type of thing with the new proof-of-stake Ethereum that has been now put into place?
1: It, I mean, it's possible. I'd rather see the, the real wholesale restructuring of the legislation to allow users to do it wherever they want. You and I may want to do it in DeFi. Somebody else may want to do it in, the, in, the, in IRL. Yeah. I, I respect that. Okay. Just because I like it doesn't... you know when, other thing and you know i don't want to veer into another subject but the the, the two greatest challenges of a lot of the stuff that you and i talk about john and and look at is education Mm -hmm. um i mean and i i kind of i try and put that point forth every time i uh, work on a project or speak to founders uh that when 80 percent of your community doesn't know how to set up their digital wallet you got some challenges yeah right and and so when we talk about DeFi, it's about education. What's staking? What are liquidity pools? If if those three, four, five billion people, whatever that number is that we all want on board into web three, if they're gonna do that, not only do they have to be educated how that works, but they have to have the confidence that when they press a button, like they press it on their traditional online broker platform, it's actually gonna work and their money's mm-hmm. not gonna disappear. So I mean, I think we have a lot of work to do on that. But this is not a one, one thing. This yeah. is about a credit investor exemption. It's simply a pet peeve that kind of really started to bother me when I looked at the kind of people that had, had opportunity to invest in really um, technologically revolutionary companies in Web3 and the folks who understood those plays far, far better but never even had the opportunity to even, you know let, let alone knock on the door. They don't even know where the door right. is. And even if they found it, it would be slamming their face under this current legislation and current definitions of accredited investors.
0: Well, what would accredited investing look like in the Web3 space? Would it be kind of a decentralized ID? Like we hear a lot about Web3 ID and a reputation system. And then in order to maybe access a part of DeFi of of, uh, under collateralized or no collateral loans, it could um, uh, review their Web3 ID wallet and maybe some levels of certification or knowledge that can be attributed through NFTs or POAPs or Soulbound tokens or something like that, that are sitting in their wallet that would allow them access to certain parts of a DeFi site.
1: I mean, yeah. Well, so that's, I I mean, I love that thinking. And I mean, you know, I was actually, we're, we're looking at, at kind of an academy to, to address that right now with the kind of my, uh, with my, my for my brothers and sisters in in in, in the legal gilded bankless okay. uh addressing the various issues that you talked about now you know the, the challenge with you know with DeFi is as long as you know you still have to deal with the sec in terms of are you a security or not now a lot of projects have been able to satisfy that and get the right legal opinions i think that's just the vast majority of them um so there's really two issues john there's one a regulatory issue uh and if you pass that hurdle then there's the privacy issue okay and you know you know the social web 3 this whole idea of privacy is super interesting because technically to become an accredited investor you don't have to know who i am yeah yeah but and this is a big but and this is kind of the juxtaposition the back and forth between web 2 and web 3. what do you do with kyc mm-hmm. what do you do with know your client you know banks have to do it and i completely understand the reasoning for it right so you know this is like a super complicated 3d puzzle that we have to put mm. together uh, can, can and I, that's going to take time
0: can i bother you for some definitions here because um, a, a lot of people that listen to my show just like me when i first started in crypto do not know what kyc is do not know what aml is don't know the difference between securities and commodities and so, why that
1: matters well, again, I'm, I, this is not – I mean, I don't want to kind of give explanations that are just too esoteric, but so yeah. let's focus on KYC. Okay. KYC is Know Your Client. So, I mean, it's an obligation of financial institutions and anybody that takes money as an investment to know who they're dealing with. And that's intended to prevent nefarious character from getting into the game. And that's intended from you know to prevent money laundering. And it, it, it makes a lot of sense. But what I wanted to, to bring up, John, is how do you – balance these competing interests yeah doesn't that go right? against
0: what crypto is supposed to be about like anybody sure can it is. use it, you know <laughs> even sure milders, it is but you know <laughs> like even even but, machines can use it without from machine to machine you don't even have to be human
1: however uh the real world is still out there yeah we're not we're not about all to about to live in the metaverse anytime soon and i think that uh and i'm sure some people would would seriously disagree with me but to me the notion that this can somehow, some way, in some world exist as an unregulated landscape. Mm -hmm. I just, I just, I think it's a pipe dream and I don't Mm. think it makes sense. Uh, I mean, as long as we live in a society governed by the rule of law, I think, and that's the hard work, John, it's, 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 it's finding that middle ground. So you don't think
0: there, there could ever be a completely decentralized society?
1: Well, okay. So now we get into back into definitions. Okay. What do you mean by decentralized? And let me give you an example. And let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. How many true DAOs, pure DAOs, are out there right now that you've seen that you've been involved with?
0: Wow, that's <laughs> when you, you know really that? think about like the, the one of the most that right. I think of is Maker DAO, perhaps you know.
1: Perhaps right. So yeah. I mean,
0: and I will mean, tell you Bitcoin's things. kind of a DAO in a way, you know. The, and that's probably the they're, most they're, decentralized uh, thing you can get all these nodes voting on on BIP yeah. proposals just by you but know they're, the, with their nodes
1: <laughs> but their store a store of value yeah they're not doing stuff right yeah. it's when you do stuff that it becomes more complicated right mm. okay so i mean that's that's the real challenge i mean how, how, so i'll give you an example so when when people reach out to myself and some of my colleagues and and we do any consulting uh, on and that's a lot of it is in DAO formation because everybody wants to be a DAO, right? Yeah.
0: Uh, dinos you know, DAO so in them, name only. <laughs>
1: you know, it, it, like it reminds me when my kids were littler, and we used to watch the Disney stuff and like you know Aristocats. I don't know if you've ever watched it with yeah. your kids, yeah. but you know the song "Everybody Wants to Be a Cat." That's mm-hmm. the song that pops into my mind every time. <laughs> right? Everybody wants to be a DAO, and yeah. uh, and I asked him a couple of questions, and the first one. I ask them whether they you know appreciate and they're okay and understand that decentralization means giving up control mm-hmm. and although you would think that we would all get that right away myself included it it, it gives them a pause and mm-hmm. they start to think about it yeah. and the second thing and the biggest consequence of becoming a DAO, and this is where there's going to be a lot of challenges is when is the founders of the project or the core team you give up control you give up your treasury. Oh uh, yeah. And when you give up your treasury, that's the ball. That that that's you know. The, I I think that you know that's when you make that decision because mm-hmm. I think that the word to decide has the the Latin root of the word to decide is uh, means to cut off any other possibilities. Mm. So when you decide to become a Dao and give up control and give up your treasury, that's it. You've yeah. cut off any other possibilities and. I, I'm seeing as I speak to more and more uh, um, project leaders and core teams that that's they didn't really go down that path all the way to really see if they're going to embrace that. Uh, but that's that's why my question: How many pure DAOs do you know? So in my view, uh, it's going to be uh, there's going to be a lot of DAOs out there. There's going to be a lot of overlapping ownership, and that's going to bring into question into issue like meta governance and, and and other. And, and other facts you know there's a great protocol called sapien.network mm-hmm. and uh really impressive they have a very cool nft passport and they're building a republic of DAOs. Mm-hmm. so uh i think that the world is not going to be a, a DAO world but a wish world okay. right? <laughs> uh I, I i and and but we're human yeah we're not going to seek this 100 percent perfection and if we can deliver on the mission of a DAO. Without being 100% centralized, uh, if that's the option as opposed to sticking with the status quo, you know where my vote is.
0: Well, aren't we as humans always trying to create some kind of objective or external law or code? And we've done this since the beginning of time. You know, with mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments, with Hammurabi's Code, even with the Magna Carta yes. and the Declaration of, or the Constitution of the United States. You know, finding some exterior law that, that somebody says, well, it's out of my hands. You know, I can't make the decision. It's, it's, it's written in law. And so now we're doing this with smart contracts, right? To have some external source yes. to take the responsibility out of our hands and say, point to that and say, well, that can't be broken. Sorry, nothing we can do about it.
1: But the whole notion of code is law. Yeah. yeah. How far can we take it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, let's, let's take it to this logical extreme. It's going to be challenging. We're imperfect. Uh-huh. I mean, the the chances that we've written the perfect smart contract, let alone many of them, are, are not, you know, are not a hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, so I think we're still going to have to deal with a lot of back and forth with a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, balancing the role of protecting people versus innovation. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that and I think I don't know if you and I have talked about it offline, but this is where speaking to regulators is really important because I think it's imperative that they get to see the world through our lens and then we get to see the world through their lens because that's the only way we can find some path because um, I mean you'll be amazed and i again I'm, I'm going to shortly do a podcast on delegated voting when you compare political behavior in DAOs versus you know, the US political system, they're eerily similar. Huh. And not in a great way. I mean, look, I think I think that, you know, I think that the way your founding fathers have fashioned the Republic was genius. Whether they intended it to work the way it is now, that I have some doubts about that. But it's the challenge becomes voter apathy. And look at even us in Bankless, John. I mean, as you recall, that the a governor's proposal to to lower the quorum requirement.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, people, right? It's like, what so, is it, ten percent? You know, the actually actively vote so, in DAOs.
1: <laughs> so, what are we going to have here? I mean, if 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 there's not enough engagement and involvement, and uh, again, I mean, we're diverging into a, a different place. But I think that as citizens of a DAO, uh, it is our responsibility to participate and it's our responsibility to show up and if we don't do this then we lose the right to complain okay. and it's interesting because and i had this discussion with somebody because i said you know there's and I, again don't quote me on this but i'm going to say it anyhow but we can we can fact check it i believe new south wales in australia um can find a citizen if they don't vote i think something like 55 dollars hmm. okay right i said that's super interesting right yeah i mean maybe 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 your coins get slashed or maybe you have to give up something or maybe you have to pay a couple of coins into the communal pool if you don't show up and vote on a forum or on a proposal uh, because without participation that is markedly better than what our political systems in the us and canada and elsewhere are delivering i mean how are we going to build this as a community yeah. where everybody's going to have a voice as opposed to representing a small number of people that hold a huge amount of governance coins. Hmm.
0: Interesting. So those governance coins, um, they, they can give people a lot of power in a lot of cases. Can people speculate on that power and are those coins a, um, a commodity or a security?
1: Well, that's the big question, because I'll say two things. Number one, you know, the Securities Commission's regulator, regulators, both in the US and Canada, which is the ones I'm kind of a little more familiar with, you know, they take kind of almost a bear hug approach that pretty much everything is a security unless you have an exemption.
0: Okay, let's real real right? quick and, define and, the difference between a commodity and a security.
1: Well, well again i mean i will just point people to the howie test there's a three-pronged test and they break it down for you okay. but the point is that if you entered into uh a, a, like an investment contract in order to earn a profit and that profit was going to be based on somebody else's effort i.e like the board of directors the c-suite the ceo him or herself then there's a security okay. if you're in there to make the money it's a security now the thing is that the commodity argument or or the utility coin argument is is the reason that we have ethereum today I mean if I would highly recommend reading the infinite machine to anybody that that is interested because it tells the story in detail and probably and articulates it far better than I than I am and it basically they got a legal opinion and the SEC decided they were a utility token okay and they're not a security because had they decided otherwise to be used yeah,
0: for, in the protocol, so it has yeah, some kind you, of Yeah, you
1: need it to pay for gas. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so
0: th- that made sense. You're not going to get rich. And you're if, not supposed to get rich off of it. You're supposed to use not it. Not supposed
1: okay. to, yeah. right? <laughs> and and so what happens is that if if that decision didn't go that way, then there would not have been an merge last night. There would have been nothing. Okay. Right. So my point is, is that how we test is a. It, it summarizes really well. If anybody wants to understand it, they, they can take a quick look at it. Canada followed that legislation with a case and a, uh, with a decision that was based on the Howie case. Uh, but those are kind of the the, the central you know parameters okay. of it. So my point is, and you know to bring us back where we started, lots of issues in the air, uh, lots of things that need to be debated and solved and agreed upon in order to move forward. But I think it all starts with the ability of people to have an equal access to opportunity. OK, that's, you know, as all as liberal democracies, in my view. And that's that's really what I got to focus on And To me, one of the the real friction point is the accredited investor exemption yeah. as is. Uh, and I, I think that needs to be revisited in a way that really uh, lets people benefit from some of the amazing innovation that is going on out there as we go forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I heard a really good argument in, in favor of accredited investing recently and they were saying, look at these projects like Hex, you know, that are just doing all this direct marketing to, you know, your mom and pop somewhere who don't understand any of this and they're told that they're going to 100x their money and, you know, and I mean,
1: the bucket shops have been around for as long as, as, you know, the whole notion of making a profit has been around. Yeah. and. I, and, and I think that that is exactly where a regulatory authority should be putting in their focus. Okay. Right? It's shutting those kind of operations down because, um, again, j- just by, by passing the legislation doesn't, doesn't mean you let people run wild. Yeah. All you're saying is, is that somebody that's knowledgeable can take a risk on the quality investment that they wouldn't have before. And keep in mind, accredited investors get access to opportunities that will never be, you know, brought to them by these, you know, hucksters, yeah. because, you know, financial advisors and their and their credit investor clients are pretty sophisticated, right? They're least likely to fall for those kind of schemes, mm-hmm. and and it's because folks don't have the opportunity to access those kind of investments that they're more likely to fall prey to some hucksters that is pitching them a hundred x deal because they don't they don't have access to anything else yeah and they they see their neighbor getting rich or their uncle getting rich or their uh you know their their, their sister's uh you know sister-in-law getting rich but or mm-hmm. invest in good opportunities but they'd never see them yeah so well if, if the only all the opportunities see is the 100x scam you might fall you might fall for it yeah unfortunately well i and, mean and that's
0: it comes back to this. What Open Current Dow is calling it—the fresh knowledge gap. Like we have all this noise in in places like Reddit, and the, with the advent of the internet, with the advent of crypto, of all these poor people basically being able to freely educate themselves on a lot of really sophisticated topics. And yes. So right. they may be a hundred times better and more knowledgeable than somebody who's some kind of accredited financial advisor. <laughs> yeah. So th- so like what we were saying about the web three ID, you know, how do you certify those people to get them to, to the place where they can, you can, you can bring in the regulators and you can say that these people are qualified they might not have the moolah. Well, you know?
1: <laughs> I think what has to happen is, is that, uh bastions of really high quality knowledge uh like Roll pal and like uh bankless hq uh have to hopefully get themselves certified or get somehow approved yeah. to be able to provide that kind of knowledge base look to me if you could come up with a model score as what number would you need to qualify to be an mm. accredited investor as opposed to straight up 200 300 million dollars yeah you know, for primary residence, right? Or what uh, skills can I you
0: demonstrate I, to, to, to get that yeah. as well? You know, like either yeah. money or skills,
1: you know? So, okay. So before b- before I forget, I just, you know, you did ask something about the, the Howey test. So the Howey test has four elements, right? I just want to make sure that we get them right. Sure. And they are, is it an investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profit to be derived from the efforts of others? Okay. That's the Howey test. Right, so you know, under that definition, a lot of the stuff that you see out there uh, is going to fall within its purview and is going to be looked up upon as a security. Now, that's another big ball of wax that needs to be tackled. Right? How do you define a security? How do you go about it? Do you allow people to invest in it if a small amount of money? Because we you know, one of the purest ways to find investment is to re- raise investment within a DAO, where you have a thousand members and they each put a thousand dollars each that's a million bucks right so those are often going to be passion projects because very rarely are you going to get an invite to like put money in an ipo and the nysc or the nasdaq that you know your minimum is a is a thousand dollars or it's even worth after all the fees to put in a thousand dollars okay but in dows there's a i mean i mean to me the one of the greatest benefits of Dow, and again, we won't get into it is liberating innovation By bringing like-minded people that have a passion for a particular subject to put in a little bit of money, but together as a community, that could move the needle, right? But right now, that would be under this definition, would be probably a security, you know, unless we really decentralize. And then it's not going to be right from the efforts of others, but it's going to be derived from our communal efforts. So that's another area that has to be tackled in terms of not access to investment opportunities, but partially that as well, but access to capital formation, which is the one thing that the regulators are having issues with DAOs with respect to.
0: Okay, so what happens if a DAO creates a token for voting, governance, whatever, and then later on it gets deemed a security? What what can happen to them?
1: well they can get penalized right i mean hmm. again i think in the u.s it's called the wells notice okay you get one from the acc saying you're in violation of 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 the act and uh you sold securities uh without a prospectus and without an exemption so you're going to be penalized now again or- i'm not uh i I think it's a civil penalty but you can okay. probably charge criminally as well depending on the conduct again i don't I don't know the law yeah uh in, in the states but uh that's serious that's right that, oh it's yeah it's 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 very serious and uh it's also I mean from what I hear talking to to folks that have seen these you know the the enforcement is is inconsistent the penalties are inconsistent okay um you know I've heard people tell like very reputable people kind of who are you know ideologically opposed to this kind of approach by the SEC saying if you can raise a lot of money go do it and figure out the regulatory stuff later (laughs) because apparently there have been ICOs that have raised tens of millions of dollars and paid like a two million dollar penalty and again I don't know their names this is what have been related to me third party and there have been ones that raised you know, $10 million and paid half of it in penalties. Okay. And when you say ICO, so, it's
0: initial coin offering
1: or right? so. It's, right. Sure. Right. Which is really was the sale of a security without any prospectus or an exemption. Okay. Um, so the point is that this is another big issue that has to be addressed, but that's fundamentally changing laws. I mean, securities legislation has been around since the 1930s and it's been amended and it's been changed, but uh, not enough to, to allow for. Uh, uh, an ecosystem where people can invest small amount of money without the cost and, and, uh, time consumption of having to go through perspectives, which is a super expensive exercise.
0: Really? So there's the, there's oh, yeah. the Piper right there.
1: Oh, there's, you know, uh, I, I can tell you just from like small Canadian Canada is not, you know, greatest country in the world. Like I'm fortunate to live here and, uh, do some stuff amazingly well. But in terms of venture capital, that's not one of these areas. I oh. mean, so a lot of companies go public early. So, you know, they it, it, it can be, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to wow. get it done, you know, on the, on, on the high end. It can sometimes be cheaper, but I've seen it go both ways. Yeah. So it, it there has to be, again, we, we can do another podcast on this, but uh, I, I think that my, my, my message on, on the accredited investor exemption is that, uh, It's high time to fundamentally alter it in a way that and it can be done in a way that continues to protect investors and allows for better better access to investment opportunities for people that would not normally qualify as it uh, on the basis that is today
0: okay so in order to kind of recap a little bit of this in order to form a DAO, um it's probably good to set some accredited investor rules um, to make sure that the people joining the DAO don't get fleeced. But at the same time, in order to become an accredited investor, it's like a catch-22. It's expensive, and it doesn't allow like a certain amount of, of um, noobs to come into the space, and uh, it creates a ceiling there. So we have this whole catch-22 going on between new technology and then old regulation, and then this lack of communication between them, right?
1: Well, I really think it, it comes down to, I mean, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they're looking to put together a DAO that's going to focus on uh, a certain niche and, and and raise funds for it. But what they're going to do is basically focus on accredited investors. Okay. That's it. Why create, I mean, if there's interest and there's demand, why create yourself a headache? Yeah. And they're going to wait until legislation hopefully changes and allows people that today would not be considered an accredited investor to, to, to put in money or they can also raise money for other jurisdictions in the world where securities laws are different. Huh. So at the end of the day, it's the knowledgeable, earnest, uh, passionate uh, potential investor that gets the short end on the stick. Yeah. They either don't have the opportunity at all, or if the opportunity is here, they don't qualify for it.
0: <laughs> Sounds like the classic old money, new money <laughs> type of...
1: Well... Thing. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, like I said, like th- these are, I mean, uh, the technology is novel. Some of the concepts are novel, but human yeah. nature has <laughs> been around for a while. So uh, I, I, I think that, that, that still is, we still have the same foibles and challenges we've always had. Yeah. I just, you know, hope and pray that we get better at uh, addressing them.
0: Nothing new under the sun. Man. Yeah. <laughs> just like they said in Ecclesiastes. Wow.
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, we've gone on for 45 minutes. I, I appreciate your time. All right. I think you've given me oh, a good sure. rundown and helped me sort out in my head um, about all this accredited investing stuff, you know, securities, commodities. You know a lot. I appreciate your time. <laughs>
1: I, you know, always love talking to you, John. I appreciate it. And I think that if we change one mind in the right place, it's, it's, it's worth it all.
0: Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitShoot and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version, Spotify specifically, if you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I am also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1, that's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. My DMs are always open. Feel free to
1: shoot me a message. Thanks again.